You're listening to audio from Mercy Hill Church of Port Austin. To learn more about us, you can visit mercyhillpa.org. I've told you this story before, but I've only got about 30 years uh, worth of illustrations, so um, you got to give me a break if I repeat one from time to time, okay? And so when I was around 10 years old, my dad brought me to roof a house with him, and um, this was an old roof that back, back in the day, I don't know if they still do this now, but they used to just like when a house needed shingles, they would just shingle over it. Need shingles, we'd shingle over it again. And, and um, now I don't think they do that quite as much, which is good. But in this case, there were three layers of shingles on the stinking roof. And you know what my job was? To pick up all the shingles that my dad was tearing off the roof, okay? And so I'm this little kid, right, like 10 years old or something. And my dad never paid me for work, so I just assumed this was just part of being dad's kid, I guess. And, you know, I'm loading up the shingles, and I'm carrying them to the dumpster, and I'm loading them up. And it seemed like every time I took a load, I came back, and there was like four more loads, right? And it just was like, this is impossible. And I literally just, I don't know if I've ever shared this part, but I literally had nightmares that week about the shingles. I would wake up in the night like a cold sweat, like, oh, like so much. You're like, man, you're a weak kid. I don't know, maybe, but if you saw the shingles, it was bad, okay? And so at one point, I just completely gave up and I, com- I just sat down. And I think my dad noticed there wasn't any movement down there. And he kind of looked down and, what's going on, son? And I said, it's impossible. It's hopeless. I'll never get these shingles cleaned up. And he said, well, I was going to give you $100 for this job, but I guess I'll just pocket that for myself. You go ahead and take a break. And, you know, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly those shingles didn't seem that heavy anymore. Suddenly I found within myself this this energy, this vitality, this strength. And, and I put the gloves, I mean, $100 for a, for a 10-year-old, that's like a millionaire, you know what I mean? And so I'm, just, I'm going and I'm cleaning. And, and what changed? Did the shingles get any lighter? Did the work get any less hard? No, what changed is I started to focus on the reward. I focused on what would be mine if I would endure, if I would persevere. And this is really how we make a lot of decisions in our life, if you think about it. We, we look at the risk, we look at the reward, and we decide if it's worth the risk, right? And often in the things that matter most, it can feel like it's almost always more of a risk. I don't know if it is that way for you, but for me, when I look at the things I really think matter in this life, that I really want to get there, I know that it's going to take hard work, it's going to take a risk, and sometimes I wonder if it's worth it. But you've no doubt heard it said, there are no shortcuts to any place worth going. And I think heaven is certainly, (laughs) certainly a place worth going. But all throughout Hebrews, what have we learned? You've got to endure You've got to persevere to the end. You've got to keep trusting in Jesus Christ. We're not, we don't get to heaven by enduring. We don't save ourselves. We get to heaven by clinging to Christ all throughout this really wearisome life that tempts us to let go of Jesus. Another quote you've probably heard is, you can feel the pain of discipline now, or you can feel the pain of regret later. And in that moment of shingles, I decided to feel the pain of discipline so that I could enjoy the reward Afterwards, And in a lot of ways, this is similar to what the author is saying in our passage today. By way of reminder, Hebrews is written to this group of Jewish Christians that were, were thinking about, they were considering leaving Jesus and going back to what was comfortable, what they knew, um, what, what they grew up in. They wanted to go back to Old Testament Judaism and, and their comfortable life. So they had back there the acceptance that, that was there with their families and their friends. And, and they were wondering if sticking with Jesus was worth it. And so all throughout the book, the author is saying, Jesus is greater. Stick with Jesus. Don't go back. Don't leave Jesus for anything or anyone. And, and what he starts to do is he starts to tell them, hey, to endure the pain of the present, you need to focus on what's coming if you stick with Jesus. 
You need to keep believing by fixing your eyes on him and on the, the fact that we're going to be with him one day and, and the glorious new creation and, and all of his glory. We're going to get to see God. And so we endure. We, we keep pushing forward. And so a key theme of this book is endurance, perseverance. Keep taking steps. Keep going to church. Keep believing. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep encouraging other Christians. And in chapter 11, he's going to tell us how do we endure? How do we endure as Christians? And he's going to give us two simple words. Over and over and over and over again. What are they? By faith. By faith. By faith, we keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. By faith, we keep believing. By faith, we keep reading our Bible and praying. By faith, we keep trusting that the promises of God are better than the promises of sin. By faith, we endure. And he highlights this truth by going back into the Old Testament and pointing to people that these Jews would have respected, would have looked up to. They were like the heroes of, of Old Testament Judaism. And so, so he looks at them and he says, you understand, right, that they live by faith as well. And so he says, let's go back. Let's go through the Old Testament. Let's look at some of your heroes and show you that they endured by faith. It was always by faith. He begins with Abel and Enoch and Noah and how their faith pleased the Lord. They were commended as righteous before the Lord, not because of their works, not because they were good people, but because they believed. He then narrowed in on Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac and the patriarchs, and that was a couple weeks ago. And, and the main point of that was faith looks to God for the future. Trust that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he's going to do. And so we trust him for the future and we keep believing in the present by faith. Today he's going to narrow in on Moses. This was like, Moses was the guy, right? For, for Old Testament Judaism, man, he was the guy. Abraham was there and Moses was there. They were like the guys, okay? And so he's going to narrow in on them and on the Israelites and show that there's a courageous element of faith that you need to get. In some senses, faith, again, we've said this all throughout, faith is not a leap out into the dark. God gives us truth that we can rely on, but faith sometimes feels like a risk. And so we've got to look at the reward and take the risk necessary to trust God. And, and I'll explain that all throughout, but here's the main point for you. Faith risks what is seen to pursue what is unseen. Faith risks it because it's worth the risk. Faith risks it for the reward. It risks what is seen, what is in front of us, what we think is logical, what we think makes sense. And it takes God at his word and goes forward anyways. Faith risks what is seen to pursue what is unseen. And this is all throughout the chapter. You may remember in verse 1, what did he say? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of what? Things not seen. In verse 7, we read, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. In verse 10, we learn that Abraham left what was seen. Why? Because he was looking to what was unseen. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And verse 13 says this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And so you don't, you say, well, what do you mean? What is unseen? What is seen? What is unseen is the things that we can only see by faith. And so in a sense, it's, it's taking what we can see in our natural state, in our natural eyes and saying, I'm willing to give this up to trust God and to move forward in faith. And we're going to see this all throughout our passage today, we're going to see people risk safety for hope, pleasure for reward, comfort for deliverance, and so much more. Each time we read by faith, I want you to see how there's an element of risk there. That someone took a risk. Someone left what was comfortable. Someone left what made sense. Someone left what they thought would be the best option from a human mindset. And they just trusted God's word and they kept going forward. What is faith? It's, 
Believing God and obeying his word. It's trusting and obeying. And so we're going to see this as we walk through that, that faith is bold. Faith is risky. Faith is courageous. And we'll see that in the parents, in the son, in the nation, and in a foreigner. So let's look at faith in the parents of Moses. This is in verse 23. He says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So here we read about Amram and Jochebed. If you're looking for some names for your kids one day, there you go, Amram and Jochebed, all right? These are the parents of Moses. We read about them in Exodus 2. We learn their names, Exodus 6, 20. But if you're not familiar with the story, this is from the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were living in Egypt. And, and during this time, they had begun to multiply in number just as God had told Abraham would happen, which we saw last week, right? Or a few weeks ago. And so this is happening now. They're, they're multiplying. And so Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, starts to get nervous. He starts to look at this booming population. And he gets this thought that could only be from Satan. He gets this thought that, you know, if our enemies came after us, I think these Israelites would take their side and they would attack us. And so, you know what we'll do? We'll make them our slaves. And so he decides to put them in slavery and heavy bondage. And he thought this would maybe slow down their booming population and kind of put them in submission. And as you know, they... That didn't work at all. And the more he seemed to abuse them, the more God would bless them. And they continued to multiply in the land. And so Pharaoh's angry at this at this point, And he makes a terrible, horrible, horrendous command that every boy that is born to an Israelite family is going to be cast into the Nile River to either be drowned or eaten by crocodiles or whatever. And he makes this horrible command. Just kill all the baby boys. That'll do it. I mean, can you imagine? Just an atrocity that happens. But... This starts to happen, and there's some cool stories you can read about in Exodus 2, but this happens right around the time that Moses is about to be born. And before Moses, well, when Mo Moses was born, his parents had this baby in their hands, and they saw something in him. Now, the, the ESV says they saw that he was beautiful. Um, in Acts, it says he was beautiful in the sight of God. The NIV says there was something not ordinary about this child. I think that's the best way to capture the Hebrew term here. There's something, they saw something that God was going to do something with this child. I don't know if it was a supernatural revelation, but they, they just saw something special in that moment, and so they decided they would hide him. Now, I want you to think about the risk here. Okay, the king, the most powerful man in Egypt, had just said, any baby boy that's born, throw him in the Nile River. What do you think is going to happen if you don't do that? You're probably going to get thrown in the Nile River yourself, right? And so they had this decision here. Do we, do we obey the, ver the verdict of the king? Do we do what he says? Or do we hide this baby for three months and risk? I mean, can you imagine every time the baby started to cry? Every time some noise? I mean, I'm sure they were terrified during this time, but they, they decided to take the risk. They decided to hide this baby for three months. And if you know the story, eventually, I think it got too hard to hide the kid. And so they put him in this basket and they floated him down river. And, and what do you know? It shows right up at Pharaoh's daughter, um, the providence of God at work. And so Pharaoh's daughter, who couldn't have ch a children, was, was, saw Moses and decided to adopt him as her own. And, and it gets even cooler because eventually Moses' mom gets to raise and we don't get to, get to go into all of that. But you know the story probably. If you don't, you should read it today. It's awesome. Okay, and, but, but here's what we get from this. Why does the author start with this beginning here in Hebrews 11? I think he starts with this. Because it, first of all, sets the stage for where he's going to go next. But it also illustrates the main point of our passage. Faith is bold. Faith is risky. Faith is courageous. Faith risks what is seen to pursue what is unseen. On the one hand, the parents had what is seen. A command from this evil king that they kill their baby or be killed. 
That's, that's what they see, right? That's what's in front of them. What's, that's the, the crisis that's right there. But what is unseen in this moment is there's something special about this kid. There's something beautiful. He's beautiful in the sight of God. There's something unique. I think God's going to do something with this child. And wow, did he, right? And so they had what is seen, but then they have what is unseen. Because, I mean, at that point, again, I think we said this a few weeks ago, but if you're, like, looking at a baby, doesn't every parent think your baby is beautiful and special, right? So, like, is this a revelation from God? Is this, like, a, something I ate messing with me? Like, I don't know. But, but they risk it, right? They risk their own lives and hide Moses for the sake of what is unseen. Again, the NIV translates this verse this way. By faith, Moses' parents hid him. For three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So the parents saw that Moses was no ordinary child. They risked their own lives and hoped that God would do something special with Moses one day. We see this type of faith today. Every time a missionary decides to leave the comfort of home and go into a risky area, risking their lives for the gospel in the hopes that God might save some people. They risk it. They risk what is seen. They risk what makes sense. They risk what is comfortable. They risk the status quo. They they throw all that away for what is unseen, for what God might do through their faithfulness, through their obedience to his word. We see this every time that we decide to open our mouths and share our faith, even when it might cost us. We see this every time we decide to obey God rather than man. As Christians, we should be willing to risk present safety for future hope of what God might do in the future. The faith of Amram and Jochebed was bold and courageous, and that faith seems to trickle into their son Moses, which we'll look at next. Faith in the son. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God and to, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now these verses describe what happened to Moses when he became older. Okay, And so remember Moses was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. So he's the adopted son of the daughter of the most powerful man in all the world at the time. Okay, And so he had everything you could ever want in this world. He had power. He had luxury, he had pleasure, he had riches, he had comfort, he had all the things that so many of us foolishly chase today, thinking they're going to satisfy. It was all there. It wasn't like he was on the path and trying to get there. No, he had it. He had it right in his lap. It was all there. But he came to this crisis of identity in his life, and he had to ask the question, will I continue in this life of luxury and pleasure and comfort and security and power Or will I leave it all to be identified with the people of God? Again, we see that Moses had what is seen in one hand. Did he not? I mean, I've got this future life. I've got comfort. I've got luxury. I've got pleasure. I've got anything I could ever want. It's right here. It's in my hands. I can see it. But on the other hand, he had what is unseen. Being identified with the people of God and fulfilling his calling. So by faith, he decided to leave what is seen. He decided to risk what is seen to pursue what is unseen. By faith, he decided to leave a life of pleasure and comfort and luxury to be mistreated with the people of God. But it's essential that we don't miss how Moses was able to do this. What does it say? It says he saw that the pleasures of Egypt 
were temporary. They were fleeting. They were, they were transient. They were unsatisfying. He saw them for what they really were. And that's why I say so many of you that are chasing those things, I don't know your heart, I don't know exactly what you're chasing, but if you're chasing these things, the things of this world, to bring satisfaction, just know that from a guy that's been there, they're fleeting, they're temporary, they're not going to last. Right? I like to illustrate this all the time with Tom Brady after three quarterbacks, or after three Super Bowl wins, right? What does he say? He says, you know, this is, this is it, I've reached my dream, I've gotten it all, but there's just something missing. There's got to be something greater out there. Yeah, <laughs> there is. And, and so, so take it from the people that have been there. Take it from the people that have everything you could ever dream and they commit suicide. Stop chasing that stuff. But Moses here, he has this stuff. But then he looks ahead to what is unseen. And he sees something. <laughs> That's the, the irony of this. I decided, what word should I use? Visible, invisible, seen, unseen? Because he, he can't see it, but he can see it. How? With the eyes of faith. He sees something. He sees a greater wealth. A greater wealth that comes from associating himself with Christ and the people of God. He risked present comfort for future reward. He risked what is seen, the fleeting pleasures of Egypt, for what is unseen, the greater treasures of Christ. He endured then by seeing him who is invisible. I love that line. That's how we live our lives. By seeing him who is invisible, by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. These verses are so key in understanding how we fight sin and pursue Jesus in this life. You've got to get this. Listen, the scriptures are clear that everything we do flows out of the desires of our heart. You have to understand that you are a wanting, desiring being. Okay? And you make decisions based on what you want. Desire drives everything you do. Think about it. At the heart of every single one of your sins is a desire for pleasure, for satisfaction, for happiness. I don't think any of you wake up and say, you know what I'd like to do on a Monday? I'd like to rebel against God and go into sin. I don't think that's how it works. You see something, and you want it. Your heart wants it, and you go after it. Why do we serve ourselves instead of God? Because we think it'll bring happiness and pleasure. Why do we lay up treasures on earth instead of laying up treasure in heaven for, for God's glory by pursuing and investing into his kingdom purposes? Why do we do that? Because we think this money might bring me comfort or security or happiness or pleasure. Why do we miss church to sleep in? All of you can say amen. You're here today. <laughs> Why do we skip Bible reading to watch TV or to scroll on our phones? Because of pleasure. We think that's going to make us happy. We think this is going to make us happy. How stupid is that? Like, how dumb is this? We live our lives, like, revolved around these things. Why? Because ah, it'll be comfortable. Make me happy. It'll make me smile. Take a load off. Get things off my mind. I'm not saying having a phone is sinful, but you understand how this works, right? Why do we give in to sin and temptation? Because we enjoy the pleasure that it brings. We love the thrill that we get from our sin and that momentary satisfaction. And so often it completely train wrecks our lives. So what would Moses say to us? Moses pulls in on his chariot or whatever, walks into the church. What's Moses going to tell us today for us who are just struggling with these desires of our heart? Moses, what do we do? What do you got for us, Moses? What do you say? You know, you need to grow in self-discipline. You need to learn to say no to the pleasures of sin. You need to grit your teeth and power through. You need to get more accountability in your life. He may get to those eventually. Those are tactics that could be helpful, but I don't think that's where he's going to start. You know what he's going to say to us? He's going to come up here. He's going to say, Michael, have a seat. I'm Moses, by the way. You know what I mean? He's going to, yeah, you can, you can go here, Moses. I'm going to sit down. And you know what he's going to say? He's going to look at all of us and he's going to say, your desires are too weak. 
Your desires are too weak. You say, what do you mean, Moses? I mean, the desires are what's driving all this sin and all this temptation, all this brokenness in my life. You say, yes, but it's because your desires are too weak. You're desiring the temporary, the fleeting, the transient. You're far too easily pleased. You see, sin is what we do when we are not fully satisfied in God. We don't sin because our desires are too strong. We sin because our desires are too weak. If you know me, you know where this is coming from. The C.S. Lewis quote, he put it this way. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do you see what's happening here? Imagine going out, seeing your kid making mud pies in the backyard. Say, hey, we got a crew to the Bahamas. You want to come? I think I'll make my mud pies. That's what we look like when we choose sin over the pleasures and the treasures of Christ. That's what we look like. And so next time you're tempted to sin, fight pleasure with greater pleasure. Be willing to risk the temporary fleeting pleasures of sin for the eternal, all-satisfying pleasures of God. This is how Moses was able to leave it all. He left a life of complete pleasure and luxury. Why? Because he could see greater treasure. He looked ahead and he saw the reward. So this stuff, gold and, and sex and ambition and power, I don't need this stuff. Jesus, that's where pleasure is. That's where joy is found. This stuff will never satisfy me. And he leaves it all. He risks what is seen to pursue what is unseen. And you think Moses regrets it? Absolutely not. This is how we live by faith. We risk what makes sense. We risk what is seen. We risk what, what the sinful desires of our heart want by pursuing what is unseen. This bold and courageous faith eventually led Moses to return to Egypt, where he became the leader over the entire nation of Israel. And you know that story and all the plagues. We can't get into all of it, but eventually it climaxes in the Passover. And, and we see this in verse 28. It says, By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is awesome because they're literally celebrating. Moses is celebrating God's deliverance before it happens. That's faith. You know the story, God had told him that he was going to pass through Egypt and kill the firstborn son of every household unless there was the blood of a sacrifice on the doorpost of that house. If he saw the blood, he would pass over. This, of course, is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did it happen in history? Absolutely it happened. But God was writing a story that would picture the ultimate sacrifice for sin. The scriptures teach that God is coming again in wrath to destroy all of his enemies. That includes every single person born in this world with our sinful, bent hearts that rebel against him and mock him and shake our fists at him. And includes those who think we're pretty good people, but we just don't have time for God in our life. He's a just God and he has to punish sin. However, if he sees the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorposts of your heart, he'll pass over. You can be spared from the coming wrath of God by being covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is why I talk about this at our church, that we're not ashamed to talk about the blood. People think we're crazy. You know, it's all this blood talk. Well, because the blood is our only hope in life and death. 
We are sinners deserving of God's wrath, but Jesus shed his blood on our behalf and, and completely absorbed the wrath that we deserved. And, and if we will trust Jesus, turn from our sins and trust him, we can be saved. And we do not have to experience the wrath of God. We saw faith in the parents, faith in the son. Third, let's look at faith in the nation. Verse 29. It says this, this is right after the Passover. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So obviously he skips a lot in between there, but he's highlighting the faith of the nation of Israel here. And he continues in chronological order from the Old Testament. And he just highlights what happened after this Passover. When God killed all those firstborn Egyptians, it finally was enough. And Pharaoh finally said, you know what, Moses, leave and take all the Israelites with you. We don't want you here anymore. But if you know the story, that didn't last very long. In anger, Pharaoh led an army in pursuit of the Israelites to take them back as slaves. And here's the crazy part. It was all part of God's plan. The text literally says that God put that in his heart. Now, we don't have time to to dive into God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, but that's an important text to understand. God wanted this to happen. And we further learn that God's directions for Israel were a little wacky. I don't know if he didn't have a GPS that day, but he's he's leading people right into between a rock and a hard place. All right, how do you want to escape? Okay, I'll take you right to the sea. (laughs) Not very good plans. Obviously, God knew what he was doing. He led them right to the edge of the Red Sea while an angry Egyptian army was hot on their heels. From a human perspective, this was not very effective. They were stuck. But you know the story. God miraculously parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites had a choice to make. Both choices involve faith, by the way. They could surrender to the Egyptian army and hope, by faith, the Egyptians would show them mercy. Or they could surrender to God's plans and walk through an ocean (laughs) that no one has ever done before. And hope that God's not just going to drown them in the ocean, right? Like, what do we do here? But by faith, they took the unseen path, the path that no one's ever taken before. I mean, you got to think about that. That's a little scary. Like, they're kind of just getting to know this God in this part of the story. They've heard about him from Abraham and things like that, but they're not for sure that he's not just going to completely drown them, that this was all just a big plan of his to kill them in the Red Sea. But it says, by faith, they walked through, they crossed over on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to follow suit, God drowned them in the sea. The author then fast forwards to Joshua and the conquest and and the promised land to show a similar story with the walls of Jericho, similar to God's unconventional strategy at the Red Sea. He gives another very unconventional strategy for Jericho. He tells them to march around this city with walls once a day for seven days and seven days on the seventh day, and then blow your trumpets and yell, and I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> it's kind of laughable, honestly, if you think about it. And here again is a crisis of faith. What do they see? What do the Israelites see here? They see a fortified city with walls and an army inside and all the resources probably that are there to just completely destroy them. What do they not see? They don't see what the heck God is doing by telling them to march around a wall for seven times. You know what I mean? Like what, what, what is seen and what is unseen? And they, they, I'm sure there was a little bit of a crisis there. I'm sure they're like, Joshua, are you sure? Like, did we cook that last meal enough? Right, we go back to that again. <laughs> Joshua, go back in that tent, just make sure, right? But they trust God. 
and they risk what is seen by pursuing what is unseen. By faith, they chose to trust God and obey his word, and God brought down the walls of Jericho and led them to victory. This reminds me of a couple weeks ago when we asked the question, will you trust God and do what he says even when it doesn't make sense? Will you step out in faith and risk what is seen in pursuit of what is unseen? I was also encouraged by the fact that both of these stories are a reminder that God is always accomplishing his plan even when things look completely out of control. I love how Paul Tripp puts it. Listen to this. It's really good. At any moment in time, the right answer to the question, what is God doing, is this, accomplishing his plan. At any, I want you to think about that. At any time, at any moment, at any time, the right answer to the question, what is God doing, is accomplishing his plan. Even in the deepest, darkest sorrows that you've ever gone through, God is accomplishing his plan for you, and it's good, and he loves you. And, and the gentle and lowly Savior, Jesus, comes alongside you and weeps with you as you go through that trial. But he's accomplishing his plan for you. The question for us is, will we trust God when his plan doesn't seem to make sense? Will we believe that he is actually for our good? Will we believe that obedience in the present will lead to reward in the future? Will we risk what is seen for what is unseen? The final passage to look at here is in verse 31. It's the faith in the foreigner. Is a short one. Don't worry, I'm aware of the time. Although everybody always tells me, just keep on preaching, man. Don't worry about it. Seriously, I'll, I'll give you a list of names so you can take it up with them after. Just rat you guys out, you know. Verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now this is talking about what happened shortly before the destruction of Jericho. Okay, and so some Israelite soldiers went in to spy out the land and, and they came upon Rahab and, and she was willing to risk her life to hide them from the authorities in Jericho while they're kind of spying things out. And, and she says this, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. What's she doing here? She's literally putting her lot in with the Israelites, the wacky ones that are walking around the wall. <laughs> this foreign prostitute decides to trust in the true God. And through her faith, she's spared and identified with God's people. When the walls crash down, she's still staying. She's still living. In that moment, Rahab had what is seen. She had the safety of Jericho, the security of those walls, the power of that army on her side. But she's had what is unseen over here, this ragtag group of soldiers with a military strategy that was a little wacky. But she wasn't trusting in the Israelites. Did you notice what she said? She was trusting in the God of the Israelites. Because apparently the people in Jericho had heard and they were starting to shake in their boots a little bit. Like this God, man, he does some crazy things like drown Pharaoh. <laughs> I don't know if we should mess with him. And so she trusted the God of the Israelites. And once again, she risked what is seen. It would make way more sense, though, even with all those stories, it would make more sense to just go ahead and stick with the walls and the army and everything that was seen. But she risks what is seen in pursuit of what is unseen. I'm going to identify with these people. I'm going to trust in their God. 
I'm going to see what this does for me because this life hasn't really worked out for me. I've been a, a prostitute and I'm trying to make a money in this terrible way and it never brings satisfaction. And there's all this shame and guilt and I'm going to go this way. I'm going to put my lot with them. And Rahab's sa faith saved her and her family. But that's not all. When we read the genealogy of Jesus, do you know who we find there? Rahab the prostitute. God used the faith of this woman to not only save her family, but to bring a savior into the world who would save mankind. It all started with risking what is seen to pursue what is unseen. So as we bring this to a close, I want to remind you of that main point again. Faith risks what is seen to pursue what is unseen. We've got to get this. Christians risk things. We do. We risk things. We risk safety. We risk comfort. We risk pleasure. We risk control. We give up control to God. You know how scary that is at times? We risk these things and we give them up. Why? For a reward that only he can give. And really what we learn from this passage is that trusting God and obeying his word, it's actually not a risk. It always pays off. It just feels like a risk at times. In that moment of crisis, it feels like a risk. And so you really got to risk. You really got to give up what is seen for what is unseen. But you've got to trust that this is really not a risk. Because God is faithful. And he always does what he says he's going to do. And his reward will always pay off. You know, this really would have hit home for the original readers. They wanted to go back to what is seen, right? They wanted to go back to what is comfortable. They wanted to go back to what they knew was safe and what they were used to. But they're confronted all throughout this book to pursue Jesus in what is unseen. So a question for you is, what does this look like in your life? Where is God calling you to risk what is seen to pursue what is unseen? Maybe God is calling you to risk your current life, your comfortable life in America, to become a missionary overseas. The question is, will you risk what is comfortable, and will you go pursue what is unseen? Or maybe God is just calling you to stand up at work for your faith, to share the gospel with that friend or that coworker, to risk what is seen to receive what is unseen. Maybe you're struggling with a sin this morning that has a stronghold in your life, and God is calling you to give it up. <laughs> give it up. And experience the joy of absolute surrender. But you're terrified if you're honest. You don't want to let it go. You've got this one sin and maybe no one else knows about it. And you're really good at hiding and it's this one drawer in your life. And you're just terrified to let it go. Risk it. And know that it's not a risk. Give up what is seen to pursue what is unseen. Take a note from Moses. To give up the temporary mud pie pleasures of this world to go after Jesus in eternal pleasure. Maybe you're here today and you know you need to give your life to Jesus. You know you need to repent and believe. But you're afraid of what it will cost you. Listen, we won't lie to you. It's going to cost you. It costs every one of these people in this passage. It will cost you what is seen. But you will receive what is unseen. A new identity, a new community, a new purpose, a new life in the presence of God, both now and for all eternity. It's time to risk what is seen to pursue what is unseen. Maybe you're at a crossroad in your life and you're about to make this big decision and one path leads to what makes sense and what is seen and another path leads to what is unseen. I don't know. We could go through a million circumstances. But what does this look like in your life? The key to endurance in the Christian life is faith. Faith in God and his character. Faith in the word of God and its promises. Faith in the power of God and the things 
that are unseen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Faith risks what is seen to pursue what is unseen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this awesome testimony of men and women in the past who were by no means perfect. But man, they trusted you. And it wasn't even a perfect faith. It was, some of this faith was mixed with a lot of doubt and questions and sometimes mumbling and discouragement. But at the end of the day, they risked what they could see, what made sense to pursue what they couldn't see. And I pray, God, I pray that you would, in our little church here in Port Austin, just raise up an army of men and women who are risk takers for the gospel and for the glory of Jesus. God, that we be the type of people that look at what is seen and say, I don't need that. I don't, I don't desire that. I'm going to go after what is unseen. And know that when we stand before you one day, and we see you face to face, it will be worth it all. And we'll realize it was never a risk to pursue Jesus. God, thank you. Please work in our hearts during this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.